turn around and every now and then I get a little bit lonely and you're never coming round turn around every now and then I get a little bit tired of listening to the sound of my tears turn around every now and then I get a little bit nervous that the best of all my years have gone by turn around every now and then I get a little bit terrified and then oh man i i appreciate the effort guys I wouldn't say it was like top 40-ish, but it's good. <laughs> top 50? It, it was good, man. Thanks so much. This is a full house, man. I think this has been the, uh, the most amount of uh, trades that I've had on the show, period, at any given time. I totally dig it, man. So we've got quite a collect- You guys want to just introduce yourself as we go along? Yep. So actually, I'm, I'm up at your shop or your home or where am I at, James? We're called, we call this the wood shop. This shop is located on my property, so I, I live in the house next door here. We, uh, it's mostly a hobby shop. We do, uh, we do some team meetings and we do, you know, the odd small carpentry related project in here. Um, but we have an actual, um, commercial property that we use about 15 minutes south of here. So yeah, we, 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 we sort of hang out in here. You guys want to introduce yourselves one by one? Yep. I mean, what, eight, no, seven, seven guys here. Seven. Yep. Seven guys. One left. One bailed. Who was That's the one right. that bailed? That was Graham, one of our uh, carpentry foremen. Okay. Didn't so want to sing. He's going to be on uh, shit duty on uh, Monday. Oh, big right? time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So who do I got to my right? Uh, Adam. I'm one of the three owners. I help run the landscape division. And next yep. to you. And I'm Doug. I uh, yeah. I run the landscape division. And then James. James. Uh, yep. I'm one of the owners, and I uh, run the the renovation and, and homes division. I'm Mac. I'm a project manager on the landscape division. I'm Jeremy. I'm a project manager for landscape. I'm Jesse. I'm one of the carpentry foremen. I'm Patterson. I'm one of the project managers on the uh, residential side of uh, the company. Nice. Nice. So Frontiers Design Build, right? You guys came up with that how long ago? Technically, it was uh, Frontiers Landscape Architecture. So I started in the business in 2008 and then... Uh, these these two gentlemen to my left and right teamed up in in 2015, and then uh, we've basically kind of become Frontiers Design Build uh, shortly after that. So I guess like 12 years. Or uh, yeah, 13 yeah. going on. 13 years, yeah, going on the 14th, 14th year, yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. So it's triple uh, w Frontiers Design Reach James at James at Gmail and then on Instagram it's Frontiers Design Build. No other Facebook. No. Yeah, we're on. Well, we're on Facebook. You can yeah, find us. Frontiers. Really it's all connected. I yeah. mean, yeah. if you post on uh, exactly. Facebook, it yeah. goes automatically. Yeah, yeah be Frontiers Design Build on Facebook as well. So, how many employees do you guys have in total? Uh, I think we're at seventeen at the moment. About seventeen at the moment. Seventeen. So, thirteen years ago, you guys started just the three of you guys. Business actually started with me and three of my classmates from university. Um, Which school? University of Guelph here. Okay. Yeah, we we're uh, in landscape architecture. And uh, the premise that first summer was like the four of us would go look for work and then hire the other three to help out on the project. And this kind of very collaboratory good, good uh, business. And then <laughs> by season two, I was the only guy left standing here. They had all gone to uh, take office jobs in, in consulting firms. 
Um, Bastages. And eh? I, I carried on. So, so yeah, James worked. Uh, I, I'm three years older than these guys, so these guys both both worked for me while they were still in school. And then, uh, yeah, the rest is history. Yeah, we were all in the same program at the University of Guelph. We all went to school for landscape architecture. Did you guys all come from there too as well? No? No. 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 This guy's a... Mac, uh, Mac yeah, is I went from... to University of Guelph. I took sociology, and that led me right to construction. Sociology <laughs> right to Mac, construction. Uh, Mac went to school for football. <laughs> it kind of makes sense. <laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm actually really fascinated by the fact that you guys three got together, started the business, and then you've grown to 17 employees. Fascinated by that because a lot of guys in the industry want to do that. They just don't know how to do that, and I'm sure there's been ups and downs mids all kinds of stuff going on finding the right guys the right people to be on your crew and uh kind of because i'm sure that frontiers you guys have a message right so whenever someone comes in this is the company this is the brand this is what you guys do right so you guys want to share a little bit about that man where do we start yeah i mean i think what's really taken us to the next level because i mean i think everything changed when we teamed up i was starting to hit a bit of a wall and what i could do by myself and uh it probably happened slowly, but just this like decentralization of responsibility. Uh, I mean, that's easy when you bring on two other owners uh, to start to you know share the hats. Uh, but I think we learned pretty quickly that you know having a collaborative team and educating the team, letting everybody kind of build themselves up and take on responsibility—that was the way to do it. Um, I mean, we're not enormous. Like, there's obviously much bigger companies than us, but uh, that's kind of what's really carried us to where we're at is, is the, the true decentralization of, um, not just, you know, low level responsibilities, but, you know, decision-making that, that kind of has formed our culture. It's really kind of galvanized our culture. Is it a sounding board for you guys? Is it kind of like you respect their opinion? You, you kind of welcome their opinion. Is that the kind of idea? Yeah. I mean, we've all gone in construction. I, I know a lot of guys start off on, everybody starts off on their own. We're doing yeah. everything and we'll do a bathroom by ourselves. We'll do all kinds of work by ourselves. Then we start realizing, I want to have a partner. I need to have a partner. Then you try to find someone that you can connect with. Personality-wise, all kinds of, right? The yeah. chemistry, everything like that. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. But then you start thinking, who else do I want to bring into this mix? And you got to figure out what really works. But then... You get somebody come in and they want to take off and start their own ship at that point. Yeah. So I know you guys talk about 17, you're not very big, but in the scheme of things, like most guys sure. these days, they're like one, two man, two person teams. That's what they are. And yep. they kind of keep it that way for a long, long reason. Is it, what do you guys think? Is it for fear of what's going to happen? I think, uh, I think people get stuck uh, working in their business and not working on their business. Very good point. It's just the like the head down mentality, and uh, I got to make money. That owner operator model, right? So I think a, a big thing that was really our benefit, and it wasn't intentional, is that we're very different. The, the three owners. I'm more of a business minded guy, less so a craftsman. And then you know James, the exact opposite, the yin to the yang. There, James and I are a little bit more aggressive when it comes to trying new things, pushing, pushing business. And Adam's a little more conservative, which grounds us. Do you guys see it? Is it clear as day? Like ABC personality kind of things? Yes. They couldn't hide it if they wanted to. Okay. All right. (laughs) And it's actually a positive. It's a, it's, it's definitely a plus for the business. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was originally that guy you were describing or the companies you were describing a minute ago, like the fear of, of growing or you, you kind of, 
you hit your ceiling at like the two or three, you know, person company. That was very much me. And I could see that I didn't have the business acumen that, that Doug had. So it was a good fit. Like we, we have uh, complementary skill sets. That's, you know, and then obviously Adam as our, as our third partner, like Doug said, he's, he kind of balances us out a bit because Doug and I are both pretty, pretty aggressive, like he said. So is it Adam fair to say that pulls, pulls the reins back on us a little bit. Is um, it fair to say that you're still on the tools and you guys are not on the tools? Or no? No, I'd say I'm on the tools probably 90% of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, really? So since you guys are still running the business and working on the business, you guys are still on the tools. Yeah, for sure. I mean, These two are. I think I'm going to do that probably as long as I can because I enjoy it so much. But uh, yeah, I'd probably say I'm on the tools most of the three owners yeah i'm probably this year in particular but we i we expanded on the on the renovation side quite a bit so i'm probably 70 percent to 80 percent working on the business now sales project management design um i'd love to be on the tools 100 percent of the time obviously as a as a carpenter but yeah less and less as as days go by i want to get a little insight from you guys and how long you guys have been in the business how long you guys have been swinging the hammer uh yeah i've been working here for um, I think this is my sixth year now. Um, I, start, I was working in like side jobs construction like throughout university. And then when I graduated, uh, I was working full time for just like, kind of like we said, just like a one man guy. So it was kind of just me and him. And then uh, I ran into James at the bar one night <laughs> by chance. And, uh, I told him what I was up to and he kind of just told me that he has a company and they'd love to interview me and uh, I've been here ever since then. So how long has that been? I think this is six years now. So it's been really good, especially going from kind of like not a very good work environment to what I have now. It's been a big upgrade. So <laughs> what is, uh, what is that political answer? Not a very good work environment <laughs> to this. So what does that, does that mean? Like things being thrown, people being yelled at, that kind of uh, environment. I won't name names, but the <laughs> yeah, it was a bad work environment. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, I get it. I visualize it. Yeah. <laughs> Yourself? Yeah, no, I've um, I've kind of been in the construction industry since um, like grade nine, doing summer summer work, and I think in my first year of university, I realized it just wasn't for me. I was an art student. I loved the creative side of it, but I hated school. Um, and then I I joined up with a um, a team in Guelph that, that did landscaping and I'd never done it before. Really enjoyed it. It was basically sculpting just of, of the earth and uh, I stuck with it and uh, really loved it and, and grew within the industry and then uh, teamed up with Doug. I mean, we were all roommates back in the day actually and that's how we kind of met each other and um, yeah, teamed up with Doug probably six, seven, seven years ago and uh, yeah, been been grinding out ever since. Nice. And you guys? Um, yeah, so I'm probably six, six and a half years in on this company right now. And um, originally I had a degree in marketing, was like an office worker, hated it and uh, decided to make a change. Went back to school and uh, James actually found me out like on a basically <laughs> on the side like, of the road. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, my school had a job fair at the end of the year uh, upon graduating. <laughs> I talked to James there. He was looking for people and hired me. And uh, yeah, six years now, six, six and a half years. I think I have been here for four or five. 
um, not four. We'll say four. So I was working. Well, I went to school for economics. Uh, I worked for investors group for three days. <laughs> uh, liter- literally three um, days. Huh? I hated everyone there. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I started painting. I was working on a job in Oakville, I think. Uh, Jesse called me. He's like, do you want a job? I came over that day uh, at lunch to see James and I was working for Frontiers a week later. So yeah, I, it's been good. It's been, it's been better here than it was there. So have you guys not gone through like finding all the bad apples or are you guys just been... Oh fort- no, we've been down there. Oh, okay, so all right, all right. I thought, thought you guys were like an anomaly no, or something. No, no, We just try and keep the good ones. Okay, all right. Because yeah. we've gone through so many of the guys that maybe don't even make it by lunch. You know what I mean? And they're gone or they've shown up on an Uber or their girlfriend of the week has shown up and to drop them off. Like those yep. kinds of guys, right? Yep. Like So you guys have gone through all those guys. Absolutely, yeah. We had a pretty high turnover what probably 20 certainly like 2014 15 16 and then kind of at that five four five six years ago when these guys showed up that's when things really uh started to galvanize and we found our core group and um yeah we've we've been really fortunate ever since then at at that time we were really starting to work on the business like i said before and really kind of open it up to everybody that's here. And I, I think that's what's kind of um, made that point where, like, I, I mean, you heard these guys, you know, four to six years ago. That's, it lines up with that. That's a long run. Giving everybody a say. and Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Because I think you look around and, I mean, it's not, it's not overly common to have that. Um, nope. Not at all. You know, open book management or decentralized uh, group that whatever you want to call it. Um, it's not, it's not really done much. Not in construction. No, no. And it's something that needs to be done. Absolutely. So you guys are total believers that there's definitely more than 50% is, is about, uh, not swinging the hammer. You know what I mean? It's really about the business and about the mindset and about the crew and then, and, and, and about the work right afterwards. Yeah. That's what it's really about. Right. For sure. Who else is on the team? So you guys, you know, there's the seven of you right here but there's 10 other people still missing right so who else is driving the boat there so on the renovation and home side there's there's five five carpenters plus myself so there's six of us there so i've got jesse and pat here um they are part of a three-man crew another younger guy liam uh is the third part of their crew and then there's two more on a separate crew luke and graham graham was the one who stepped out earlier when he didn't want to sing um, so there's there's six of us on the homes and, and renovation side. Yeah, and then on the landscape side, these these three guys here, so Adam, Mac, and JR are, are essentially running projects. So they've each got crews of their own, kind of one or two guys each. I, I wanted to get more into your business and try to figure out how you guys run the ship, how you guys handle the clients, how you guys... I, not necessarily solicit work or anything like that, but it's just more about navigating the world of clientele because you get a lot of... You got your team comes in and I'm sure some clients might want overstep their boundaries and go, I'll speak to the low man totem pole and all of a sudden I'll try to sneak in this, try to sneak in that, those kinds of little things, right? How you guys handle that? What's the day-to-day going on with Frontiers? You or me? Both of you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I mean, at the end of the day, like James and I are doing the sales for the two divisions. So, I mean, we're, we're the primary contact for... Uh, like the development of the project 
And then usually kind of uh, throughout the process, we're kind of high level project managing it. And then these, these guys all jump in for that daily grind, right? To, you know, manage the ins and outs, daily decisions, material ordering, that kind of thing. But yeah, I think we do, we do a really good job at uh, communication. So, you know, whatever softwares are out these days, you know, there's lots of them. We're, we're on co-construct, just constantly managing clients' expectations, communicating with them regularly, uh, trying, to, trying to anticipate things that come up. Um, but then also suggesting that, you know, they're touching base daily with these guys that are on the ground and, and know exactly what's going on. And with co-construct, I mean, they're, they're in there making comments as well when, when questions come up. So uh, some of that starts with like onboarding our clients onto our systems and processes, getting them familiar with how to use co-construct so they can communicate to us properly. I've never used it. You guys like it? We do. Yeah. yeah. It was a communication game changer for us. Was it a big learning curve or not at all? Uh, was it easy for everybody to get on board? You certainly uh, optimize it over time. Okay. But um, pretty user-friendly and a really good customer support team for the struggles that you do have. Yeah. But no, in, in general, yeah, like Doug said, it's been a game changer for us. It keeps all the communication out in the open between client, trade partners, team members, everybody's up to speed. Yep. And I think, I mean, the world, clients included, are, are only getting more tech savvy. Yeah, for sure. So. It's a good and bad thing, no? Yeah. Because they know what we know. Yep. Yep. So to speak. Yep. Just air quotes it. That's all. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that we're not DIYers. That's it. I was going to ask you guys if you guys have a construction bone to pick, because we can go through the whole gambit. If there's something that's just popping in your head right now, that's something that could be fresh. Tile setters. Are there any good tile setters out there anymore? <laughs> you know what's sad about tile setters? And this is just my opinion. There's a lot of young guys getting into the game, but I'm seeing young guys get into the game, and within five years, they probably age about 15, 20 years because their backs and their knees and everything, and, and it's just it's hard. That's our A lot of respect. At first, I thought like concrete and roofers, and, and they're beating up their bodies, but then I pay attention to tile setters, and I'm like, Fuck that. I just like, that's just hard work, man. It's, yeah. yeah. Try landscaping. <laughs> that's a different animal. I, you guys are heavy lifting everything, man, which is, and then elements, Mother Nature, all kinds of stuff. No, that's hard as well, too, man. Yep. All right. So, anybody else got any construction bones to pick? That was obviously a joke. Our tile setter, Andrew Wheeler from <laughs> Fastidious Tile and, Tile and Stone, walked in. So, okay. I thought I'd bust his balls a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody else? Everybody's cool? Sociology major, you're totally fine. Everything's fine. Nothing at all. These guys just love their jobs and uh, want to keep them. No complaints. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not about like being written up or anything. Like that it's just, I guess, in general, it's it's just winter's coming. I'm not a fan of it. Salamanders building tents, layering, layering, layering. Wet boots, dry boots, wet socks. I don't know, man. Like everything's coming up, right? That's uh, sort of um, a nice thing about having two divisions is our landscapers usually get to come inside over the winter. We don't do any snow removal or, you know, anything like that. So these guys get to help out the carpenters. That's at least how we get them to site. You, that, that's, that, how you, that's how we get them to site. Okay. And then we send them outside to do some of the outside <laughs> stuff. But when did, did you guys, from the beginning, was it set up as a two divisions, or was it primarily the landscaping, hardscaping, and then got into the rentals? Yeah, no, so uh, 2008 to 2015 was just landscape. 
Oh, so so the Reynolds is new. Yes. Relatively. Well, so James, uh, James worked for me. What like two thousand nine and ten ish? Eight, eight, nine. I think. Eight, yeah. nine. And then between nine and fifteen, when we teamed up, James was running his own renovation company. So then, when we teamed up, he brought that that skill set to the to the business. Basically, fifteen onwards, we were doing landscapes and renos. Uh, and it kind of fluctuate, uh, you know, the first couple of years was kind of two thirds landscapes, one third renos kind of balanced out 50, 50 in like, uh, maybe, I don't know, eight, 2018, uh, for a little bit. Um, and it's been, it's been approximately 50, 50 ever since. Was it a challenge for you guys to kind of shift gears from the landscaping into rentals? Because I guess a lot of your clients and referrals were knew you guys as landscapers not as renovators well, well the cross-selling was was awesome because so a lot of james's first renovations here at frontiers were for my past landscape clients okay and then just again the cross-selling ever since like typically like if somebody's going to do their kitchen they call us like two years later and they want to do a pool yeah and vice versa so you guys already right. planted the seed oh yeah you know all pun intended yeah. right like it's just like it was all set up yeah. yeah the irony was when we when we first joined up it was sort of we wanted to brand the divisions separately because nobody wants their landscaper doing their, their bathroom renovation. But ironically, people loved working with us and they much preferred to work for one contractor that could do everything. Um, I think it's a smart move because I think once clients find somebody that they're comfortable that's with, just it. Yep. then they are hoping that you have this other skill set. Yeah, and it was kind of a branding and marketing challenge because like, I think you see a lot of those guys where they've got a really basic website and it says like, you know, Oh, I do patios and sod and I'll also wire your home and I'll <laughs> do your roof right. and I'll snow, like I'll do your snow and cut your grass. And, and it's kind of scary. You're like, yeah, like, I, I don't know. Right. Jack of all trades. So that's exactly what we didn't want to be. Right. So it's, that's kind of where the design build thing came along. It's, you know, we're a true design build company from concept design through budget planning. So it's that very professional approach. And that's really led us into like the high end jobs we're doing now. Um, like most of our landscapes are, uh, you know, three or 400,000 on the low end to, you know, a million or 2 million on the high end. It gets expensive out there, man. Totally. Yeah. Especially with COVID these days. Right. Yeah. So everybody's wanting everything outside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I know I've been following along. You guys have been, is the tiny house finished? Very close. Very close to being yeah. finished. Yeah. Yeah. Cabinets you, just went in today. So okay. I think we got countertops left and that's it. You guys want to talk about that? How tiny it is? How the whole process came along? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So these, um, these clients, they're, they're actually the, one of the clients we actually went to school with. So that's, he's been following us along on, on social media for a while. And Guelph recently just started allowing these detached dwellings, like these accessory dwelling units, tiny homes for um, um, that most commonly known as tiny homes, I guess. Size um, of it? Like what's the max that Guelph is allowing? So I think you're allowed up to eight or 900 square feet. Okay. Um, depending on the size of your property. Um, so this, the one that we just built um, in the old university area in Guelph is 350 square feet. That's small. So they're two young professionals. Um, she's a physiotherapist, so she's going to be doing treatment in there. But it's a legal accessory dwelling, so if they decided down the road they wanted to rent it out or Airbnb, I mean, they have that option. So, yeah. And what would you guys throw in there? It's, it's got a three-piece bath, so uh, toilet vanity, shower. Um, it's got a small kitchenette, just a, like basically a wet bar, um, sink and, and bar fridge. That's pretty much it. There's like a, there's a flex space where she's going to be doing treatment, yeah. but we took, we took a high performance approach to it. Um, super insulated, um, airtight, 
um, very energy efficient, very comfortable, you know, triple pane, European windows, ERV, obviously, small uh, electric air source heat pump. So low energy, very comfortable, very performance driven. Um, and fortunately, they had great taste, which is nice when you work with clients with good taste. Always helps. So uh, very nice finishes, kind of a Scandinavian minimalist design to it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's stunning. You know, Are we're you really pulling the utilities from the main house? Yeah. So okay. all the services come from the existing house. Okay. Which can be a bit of a, a, bit of a challenge when you're dealing with slope and, and sanitary lines that are pretty shallow. It all worked out. So, was it a bit of a pain? Because I guess you got to get on the high side where the tiny house is, and you got to get to the low side where the front of the house is. That's right. And with these older houses, they have pretty shallow sewers. Um, We had to consult some soil engineers, just make sure we had adequate frost protection. Essentially, you just um, cover the the sanitary and water lines with rigid foam. Well, that was it. Hey, here in Guelph, what are you guys tying into? What's what's on the ground there? This this is probably a hundred year old plus home, so I, I believe it was cast in the basement. Okay. So yeah, you know we have mechanical fittings to to tie it all together. Um, the plumbers didn't have that much fun down there in that basement. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, that must have been fun tying mm-hmm. that in. Huh? <laughs> uh, that's their job. That's why they drive the Porsches. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Every plumber I know, man, drives a Porsche or wants to drive a Porsche. I, I don't know what it is. Yeah, Maybe it starts with P, plumbing. I don't know. I don't know yeah. what it is, right? So everybody's quiet over here. You guys are all like little. Well, we're hiring. If, uh, <laughs> always? If it, always, yeah. Really? Yeah. Tile setters. No? Try <laughs> Anybody knows been, a good tile setter. Tile yeah, I mean, care. it's a struggle out there to find to find help. I'm sure this is a common topic for you. Everybody um, is, right? So who's the youngest here? You're the youngest. Yeah. At what age? 29. Okay, 29. And then who's the oldest here? Jer. Jer's like 53. Uh, 60 this year. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, 37. The bullshit light is on. <laughs> How old? 37. 37. You're the oldest? Yeah. Okay. All right. So you guys are all young, man. You're all babies, man. Holy cow. So what are you guys looking at out there? I mean, I can only assume that all the young guys are asking for too much money, not enough skill. It's not about the money. No. No? It's, it's, a, it's about the people. Yeah. It, I, I mean, we've got, a, we've got a pretty solid culture here. So it's about, it's about fitting into that, just being kind of a no bullshit human, uh, wanting to learn. Um, we we kind of really push innovation and everybody kind of pulling their weight on self-improvement. So if you're kind of looking to coast, like, I mean, many in the construction industry, certainly on the, on the labor side are, uh, it's not a good fit. So, um, yeah, just like passion, drive, uh, good attitude. Hungry to learn, right? Hungry to learn. Yeah. yeah. Cause I mean, the money's not an issue. I mean, we'll pay guys more and charge more. Like it's pretty simple. I mean, I see a lot of guys, and I've joked on it on the show before, where they come in asking for more than their age, right? And it doesn't suit me well because I have yet to see that fit properly. And I've seen lots of guys that come in at 25 or 26, 28, closer to 30, and I could justify because their skill set, you, you know off of like speaking to them for 5, 10 minutes, that, yeah, sure, their skill set's there, so they're worth yep. the 30, right? And you can go from there. But I find that a lot of the younger kids, because we did a show where we were talking about numbers and we were just trying to calculate what these kids, if they wanted to live in Toronto, rent all their expenses at that age of early 20s, 
they need to be making 40 bucks an hour, but their skill set doesn't scream 40 bucks an hour. So how do you do that? But they need to live in these certain areas or have these kinds of lifestyles, so to speak. So you guys are juggling that or not juggling that? You're just, you're kind of weeding that out. Yeah, I mean, we're not in Toronto, we're in Guelph, but I mean, standard of living is going up everywhere. Everywhere, it's insane. Uh, I mean, real estate is probably the main driver of that, right? You try and be somebody, you know, in your mid-20s and buy your first home, it's it's pretty possible these days, right? So I get that, but you know, I totally understand what you're saying. You know, the skill set's got to match, match the wage, at least close. But yeah, I mean, from a business perspective, I mean, you got to be doing budgets and forecasts and figure out, you know, overhead recovery and all that fun technical stuff. And um, if you've got to pay a guy X, then figure out how to, you know, recover that cost through, you know, your labor rates and your material markups and your subcontractor markups and how much you have to sell a year and it's just math at the end of the day. I mean, it's, yeah, hundred percent. So if you've got a guy coming in, tradesperson coming in and they're, you're paying them 30, you obviously have to be making off money off of them. So you're billing them out at what? Another 10 points on top of that kind of idea. 15 points, usually. 15 points on top yeah. of that. And that's what you're billing to the client. That's right. Right. And that's how you run a business. That's yeah. how you're operating a business. Yeah. And that's important. And then the clients are fine with that or are they starting to yeah. understand that, okay, these kids, are getting way overpaid? Is is that a mentality of the clients or not? No, uh, I mean, I don't know whether it's you know managing uh, the client's expectations through the sales process, but um, I mean, we focus more on I think the product, the end result, how we're going to get there, um, the high level budget. Like obviously, people want to be in a certain range, right? So it's not coming down to like a particular line item and nickel and diming on a particular line item, but um, you know, getting to the budget via, you know, designing the scope. So, you know, if the first, first draft budget comes in and it's 400 K and they want to be at like 250, it's okay. Well, how do we make this design? How do we, how do we carve the scope down? It's not, how do we squeeze the water out of our, um, out of the stone, stone, so to speak. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, can we go back to our trades and ask them to do it for cheaper, or lower our rates? That's, it's not an option. You can't run a business that way. So it's go back to the drawing board, redesign, reduce the size, take some, take a feature out. Yeah, I've always said it's it, like you it, you explain to the clients. It's not about discounting the numbers that have been presented. It's about removing yep. scope that you guys want. Yep. That's how you're going to lower that number. It's the only way you should lower the number. I don't think any tradesperson should go in and start reducing the number right off the bat when you've already spent the time and effort designing that number getting to that point right yeah. and then what does that say what does that say about you to the client at that point when you start saying well i'll shave off 10 15 20 just to get the job it's a race to the bottom at that point right so that's just it i think that's what a lot of business owners struggle with is thinking that they need to lower their their cost their fee instead of it's instead of understanding that the sliding scale between scope and budget you can't move one without the other so instead of chasing the work and, and chasing the chasing the jobs i guess um, you know, have to understand your value. Uh, and the only way you can do that is if you know your numbers. Yeah. So I think that's something a lot of guys struggle with is just not knowing their numbers. And uh, A lot yeah. of the young guys getting started, they start trying to figure out what am I going to charge. And I think every tradesperson has calculated uh, this is what I want to be paid. Right. This is what the material costs. This is how long I think it's going to take. So then that's my magic number. Mm-hmm. That's what I come in at, right? Or but basing it on unit pricing, right? Yeah. Like, like, And they get it through kind of industry like rumors and, you know, historical benchmarks and, you know, it should be this much per square foot for this 
typical product and it that gets outdated. Have you guys done that? I've no. never done that. I've had clients yeah. ask me. In the early days, yes, because I knew no Square foot price doesn't do anything. It, it doesn't, it, it can't, because you can't have a property with different areas of the house that are more expensive than others and have a square foot price that kind of blankets everything. It doesn't yeah. work. You have to literally, item by item, break down the scope. And then yeah. that's how you get to your number. As a joke in the early days, I used to do it as just an exercise. I would try to figure out, and I was always ending up, and this is 10 years ago, I was always ending up around 350, 400 a square foot. So I started realizing, okay, I'm at the more mid to high end range, right? But then you hear about guys that have their businesses and they're running at 100, 150 a square today. Yeah. And I'm like, how are you operating at 100, 150 a square? You can't do that. Like tile setters these days, I know, are 20 to 30, if not more, depending on the tile itself. A square to install, not including material. Okay, so out of six, seven, six, seven, six and a half, and then four, yeah. one particular job, one particular detail that stands out that you guys have come across that you guys worked on? Uh, yeah, so a project we did this year, uh, the Ainley Trail project, or the Urban Muskoka project, as <laughs> Doug likes to call it. Um, it was just, uh, we did it all out of granite stone, so we had to bring, we had a customer who grew up in, was it Huntsville? Yeah. In Huntsville, so he wanted everything brought from Muskoka down to Georgetown. So we had to bring, it was a different stone that we used and uh, we did the entire pool coping and we cut it out of natural uh, mega flagstone. So it was just something that uh, was different for us and Jeremy did the water feature, which he killed um, I think the whole project was just something that uh, we all took a lot of pride in, and it went really well as far as the, the craftsmanship on it. Smooth face, or was it rough face on the coping? Uh, well, we had to cut out the coping, and then we rounded it and polished it. Bull nose. Yeah. Nice. So that took a long time, and we had to get some help from our tile guy on how, <laughs> <laughs> guy. On how to use uh, some different polishing products and uh, tools and then the rest of it was done in an outdoor tile that we put on gator base so that was something that we yeah i saw those before. pics man you guys like the gator base tile. yeah 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 so it was it was all just stuff that we hadn't really done before and uh it ended up turning out really really well so i think everyone was proud of that one this year yeah i mean that's that's really the cool thing about the industry is that every every project you do you try and do it a little bit better than the one you did before. And there's just constant, like us trying to be on the edge of innovation allows us to just explore all these new products and, uh, and test them out and see if we like them and then adopt them into our regular implementation. So it's, I mean, everything we're doing, every project we do, I try to bring something a little bit new to it. Um, the way I did it before, just improve on it a little bit. And over time, I mean, I've been doing it for 15 years. It's just, um, you, you end up with a product that you're super pumped about every time. And that's, that's basically why I'll do it as long, and, as long as I can before my body gives out, you know? <laughs> Gentlemen? Sorry. Sorry, are you on TikTok? No. <laughs> <laughs> Sign my life away. Um, yeah, uh, a recent uh, ensuite slash office uh, that we did was in a... Uh, retrofitted church so they uh it's a super old church they turned into uh, a home or they didn't but they uh bought this house and uh, we went in and uh and we did the ensuite it was a lot of a lot of work we had to relevel 
like the whole flooring system, all the walls. What was the framing like in there? Original? Brutal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bad, huh? Yeah, it was yeah. all original. How old nice are we talking about the structure? Like uh, over 100? James yeah, well over 100. Yeah. 150, 160 year old. Wow, eh? It was actually, a, it was a schoolhouse. Oh, yeah, it was a schoolhouse. That's right, that's right. And it had been through a number of renovations, which as you know, oh. that's typically worse than original butcher anything, right? Butcher after butcher. So it's after held butcher. together with bubble gum and dental floss. And as soon as you peel one layer off, it's sort of... Your responsibility right. now. Then, right, so... What turned into, what did we have originally? Like 150 or 200 budgeted hours for framing turned into like roughly 400 hours of framing. 150, yeah, it was like around that, yeah. So fortunately, you know, fantastic clients. Uh, actually, one of our interior designers, you know, supported us the whole way. We're willing to do it the right way. We're willing to peel it back as far as necessary. And then, you know, went from a pretty drab bathroom to a, to a, real, a real stunner. It's sweet. How was the city? I mean, I've never dealt with that, but I can. How was the like the inspection process dealing with such an old structure? You guys coming in, tying in new structure to old structure. How were they? Depends on the on the township we're dealing with around here. The city of Guelph can be pretty challenging. They've got some some tough inspectors, but most townships, like the town township of Puss Lynch, where we are technically right now, they're pretty good. They'll work with you. You yeah. know, they'll answer your questions. They'll tell you what they want to see. So. Generally, we try to be, we try to stay ahead of it, you know, bring them in before we, you know, get too far, make sure we're, we're on par with what they want to see. So other than Brutal, Brutal is the only thing for you? I, I was on site um, off and on throughout the course of the, the project. It wasn't something that I was uh, like dedicated to, but in my experience there, it was um, interesting. <laughs> it was <laughs> challenging. It, yeah, yeah. It was, um, there was a lot of, like James said, a lot of like you could see the different eras of renovations as you peel the wall back. And it was a lot of thinking about um, how to get yourself out of the pickle you've just created and doing it in a way that you're forward thinking to the finishing of the product and what everything's going to look like in the end of the uh, of the whole process. And it was it was a lot just to sort of go in, peel the onion back and really get down to it and come up with something that was impressive at the end of the day. But I guess you guys, like we tradespeople in general thrive on that, like yeah. problem solving. You guys come across and scratch your head, can't believe, figure out who did this, why they did this, yeah. how they did this, <laughs> and then you guys attack it, right, yeah. and yep. pull it off. Yep, absolutely. Especially in those older homes, right? And I think that's a lot of the satisfaction we get as carpenters, sort of as general contractors. Like we're not specialists per se we 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 do everything from you know some demo rough carpentry all the way through to finished carpentry so it's nice to be to know that since you're the one doing the finished carpentry you're going to plan everything carefully for you know two or three months down the road once you get to that stage how do you guys handle that on a business side if you guys are budgeting x amount for framing and all of a sudden it becomes double triple you guys going back to the client or are you somehow padding it into other lines a few years, two or three years ago, we we switched to a cost plus approach okay. on the uh, on the renovation side. Obviously, um, they operate more fixed price on on landscape. Um, but yeah, we just had project after project going way over budget, and then you're you're you know you're coming back to the client you know hat in hand, asking for more. Um, so we we had to take a cost plus approach because especially with older homes or renovations in general, you don't know what you're going to find. Surprise. So it's really difficult yeah. to budget. 
Um, so you, you, uh, it's it's critical to to manage expectations from the jump. You know, yeah. you come up with a a good budget, but you have a contingency. You talk about the possibility of you know what could potentially go sideways, and yeah, constant communication, constant financial uh, updates. So, yeah. have you guys? Uh I'm assuming landscape side of the business hasn't been hurt all that much with COVID or has it? No, it hasn't. Right. No. But the renovation side definitely has, because we've all seen delays with a bunch of things. It doesn't matter what it is. We're just delayed. Uh, well, I mean, if we talk about like sales pipeline, like both, both sides of the business are, uh, booked like way out. Um, but yeah, if you start talking like supply chain yeah. or materials, it has hurt both sides of the business. I've been doing my best to stay ahead of that by, by trying to project manage about a year ahead of time. So getting our pool contractor locked in, getting steel kits ordered for pools, getting stone ordered for patios, getting lumber ordered for decks. Like we're doing this like six to 12 months ahead of time. Whereas I think a lot of those owner operators aren't and can't. Um, and some of that, you know, medium sized competition that um, would be our direct competition they're just kind of worried about closing out this year, I think. So trying to stay um, the early bird gets the worm yeah. type position. And uh, that's worked really well for us this year. Um, I don't think we had really a whole lot of hiccups as far as, you know, materials or trades lining up. And uh, I'm, I'm anticipating that next year is going to go well again because of that pre-planning. Yeah. And you guys are booked into the summer already? It's looking pretty good for next year? <laughs> Landscapes. Yeah. Um, booked solid through 2022 and I'm working on a few projects that'll take us halfway through 2023 right now. Good for you guys, man. Yeah. So people are still wanting the, their homes. They're not traveling. They're not Big planning time. on, Big time. which is really good for all of us. I still think something's going to happen next year. I just don't know what it is, but something's going to happen next year. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I know you guys got a lot of in-house employees and a lot of in-house trades, but which, which trades are you guys are subbing out that you guys have subcontractors for? So on the renovation side, we, um, we self-perform carpentry and we have trade partners for essentially everything else. We, uh, even, we used to do our own demolition. We, we, we sub a lot of that out now. I hate demo. I know. I can't stand demo. It's miserable. I mean, if it's, if it's an occupied house, we'll do it and we'll, we'll certainly do the site prep. That's, that's critical. That's something that we're, um, we take very seriously, um, and then beyond that, I mean, we're, we're doing all of our own framing. We're typically insulating our own, you know, renovations. If it's a larger project, we'll bring in a, a, an insulation subcontractor. We don't uh, do any of the mechanical stuff, obviously. HVAC, plumbing, electrical, drywall. We're, we're even out of drywall. We used to... It's not me. Why are you guys looking at me? Somebody's chiming. Well, uh, <laughs> it might have been me. Okay. <laughs> no problem. Drywall. We, we don't do drywall anymore. Um we don't do flooring anymore. But yeah, but according often. to drywall, drywall is like the most important trade in the entire construction world. It's the most important part of construction, <laughs> yeah, well, of according to drywall. <laughs> I'm not knocking drywall, but it's not. I say they're all equal. That's what I say. Okay? Absolutely. I just don't. But there's a lot of drywallers out there that think that's, that's the only reason we renovate is for drywall. Yeah, it's an important <laughs> step. But like you said, they're all important. Yeah. So basically, rough, rough framing carpentry and finished carpentry. Uh, and of course, site management, site protection, um, facilitating and supporting every trade, right? You can't just show up, do your job, take off and, and come back when, when it's time for finished carpentry. So we're, we're diligent in managing all the trades, you know, supporting them and preparing for the next guy. Like, you know, like, just like you say, get, you know, respecting the next trade. Yeah. 
It's kind of catchy. I know. It is. <laughs> should trademark that. How do you guys educate these guys? When someone comes in new into the into your business, what's the mindset? What yeah. do you guys say? Like, what are the key phrases, words? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you can just kind of give them an orientation and they can go on and, and do the do the job. Uh, so we've been doing uh, quarterly company meetings for, I think, a few years now. I've been part of a, a really good peer group for the better part of a decade. So I kind of took the... Uh, the uh, prototype from that, but the agenda from that. So my, my peer group meetings are twice annually and they're a three day meeting. So we basically did a mini version of that. So it's a one day thing we do here at frontiers quarterly. Yeah, we go, we all, we all sit here, the whole business, all 17 of us we will go through, you know, fundamentals of accounting so that, you know, they can understand budgets. So we'll look at the P and L of the company. Uh, we'll look at, you know, different, uh, KPIs and metrics that we're trying to develop and try to hit and where we're at. Um, it's refreshing to hear that that you guys are actually doing KPIs, yeah. man. Because a lot of guys in construction don't even know what's yeah. going on there. Yeah. Well, that's again getting back to you know working on the business. As yeah. As we're working in the business, right? So, so usually like I'll bore the guys with numbers for an hour and a half, <laughs> two hours, and then uh, and then we'll get into what we call parking lot issues, which is just you know topics, current topics, topics of the day. It could be uh, job packages. You know what's in them locates designs uh you know we need, need to change the way we're doing these designs show these types of dimensions whatever 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 to you know um communication issues within the company uh you know we're doing this particular thing this way we should be doing it another way let's talk it through so it's that open open forum discussion where we shape the business and it's literally anything from like the administration and the financials of the business through to um, you know, equipment purchases, tool purchases to, uh, you know, what we do, what we don't do to recruiting, to staffing, you know, what, what are the couple of missing pieces we need next? So that's where I say like, you know, decentralized, like we're all involved. Um, and you welcome their feedback. Like everybody's not afraid about raising their hand. No, at this point, I mean, I think the first meeting or two that that was the case, I just kind of stood and talked. Um, but I think we're all now quite good at, you know, making sure our opinions are heard and and not being scared to speak up and, and that type of thing. So, and I think it was Mac at one point, uh, maybe a year or two ago, he literally said during one of the meetings, he's like, if we didn't do these meetings, like there's, there'd be a few guys in this room that wouldn't be here anymore. So it's, it's galvanized our culture <laughs> and, and really kind of, I think, pushed and pushed and pushed us just to get better and, um, Continue there's, to work on the business. There's a lot of production and having that one day off production. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's Huge. really important. Mm -hmm. I got to ask all you guys, all you gentlemen, I mean, is everybody committed to yellow? Because I see yellow here, but is that not the case? <laughs> What's the story here? Is everybody committed to one or are you guys committed to all kinds of brands? I'm, uh, <laughs> I tend to be a bit of a, a tool junkie. <laughs> so I was, I was a big DeWalt pusher from, you know, 10 years ago. On the finish side, you see a lot of green over there. That's that's what we also... Uh, okay, all the Festool. Yeah. To be honest, like it's nice having one platform, and the landscape guys as well use the DeWalt stuff, so it's just nice having you know one platform for everything. All the batteries are interchangeable until the landscapers start stealing your FlexFold batteries, but uh, that's another subject. Um, we're, we're very much a DeWalt company. I, I, no to be honest, I think if I was buying a new set of tools today, it would probably be red. 
Really? With their uh, with their storage, and even just their tools in general. The they've, pack outs? They've come a long way. Yeah, their storage. Yeah, the smell in the Dewalt cases still doesn't go away after about a decade, man. Yeah. It's still in there, but it's just it what it is. Puts the tough system to shame, to be <laughs> honest with you. It does, but that makes you want to change the whole platform. The storage, for, for sure, and they got a lot of pretty cool... They essentially have all the tools that Dewalt has at this point. Yeah. That wasn't, that wasn't the case, you know, even five or six years ago. They still don't have a track saw or a table saw or a decent miter saw, sorry to say, but yeah. that's just me. Yep. Not being buyers or anything like that, but that's just me. But on the landscape side, what are you guys running for quick cuts? Ooh, we mix it up. Is it still gas or are you guys going battery? Useless battery. Still gas. Still oh, gas, right? Battery, battery won't work at all. Or battery, battery won't work at all. No, I mean, I'd love to get my hands on a little guy, but for, you know... Shaving. For a little quick cut, yeah, most guys are using a battery, off, right? But it's, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we're running 14-inch and 16-inch. I mean, the, the, I think the company is between Husk and uh, Still, and we use both all the time. Yeah. Some guys prefer one and the other, and we have a fleet of both. But, uh, yeah, I mean, as, as of right now, it's still full gas, full dust. <laughs> it makes sense, man. I just can't see a battery quick cut doing the job, right? Like you guys are using it all day long, yeah. and you'd be charging batteries all day long. Well, they've got flexible grinders for you know small trim stuff mm -hmm. uh, with diamond blades on them. Yeah. So you know when the big saw is too much, that you get you get in there with the little one. Some finesse there, yeah. Yeah. Are you guys doing exclusive meetings for all your PPE, or is that just kind of a standard when the guys are part of the crew? That PPE is just standard, man. Well, safety officer over here, Adam, could probably speak to our, our okay. safety procedures. Well, because I know everyone's getting more and more religious with it. And uh, as you get older, even sawdust is bugging the hell out of me. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a big issue. And it's definitely being enforced in the States more and more often. I know their restrictions are pretty tough. Um, and it's definitely coming to Canada. It's just whether it's in a couple years or five it's going to happen. Just get ahead of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And they're coming out, like, if you go down to the, um, like, shows like IBS or, like, um, some of the other big construction shows, they've got tons of options for it. they got vacuums. they got different guards. They've got all sorts of stuff. So you just have to, we're going to have to button down in the next little while. But go everyone dustless. is. We're pretty good on the inside. We have... You know, dust extractors. We have, yeah, we have air scrubbers. We yeah. have, we, you know, we bought, we go to Uline and purchase, you know, 100 or 200 sets of safety glasses. We, we've got RZ masks for all the boys. So, I mean, if there's a, if there's a need or a request or if at the quarterly meeting they say, hey, we need more masks and, you know, we invest in it. Yeah. I know. Sorry, you're going to say something? Tom? Yeah. Well, just, I mean, obviously it's a lot more critical to be very diligent inside. On renovations as opposed to landscape you know outside you got a little bit more flexibility but dust going dustless is something we've talked about for a couple of years and i think it's just um not been a big enough priority for us to bite off but we should i mean it's also challenging too because not everything could be actually 100 percent dustless right yep. so there's still some and you got the scrubbers but the scrubbers are are, are good not great but they're yeah, good exactly i yeah. mean we uh, we try to manage clients expectations we say we'll manage dust but I mean, it's not going to be a dust-free. doesn't yeah. matter what size renovation it is. It's going to find its way. I know that we first met uh, in person was two years ago at IBS there. Yep. You guys planning on going next year? Or I know World of Concrete is coming up, and everybody's been bugging me about Construct Canada. But I've got no interest in going to Construct Canada. I just personally think it's going to be a coast town. Mm. Uh, 
I just think it will be. Where, where is IBS? IBS this year yeah, or next year, I should say. I thought it was still in Vegas, isn't was it? it? I thought there was talk of it being in Florida or something at some point. Yeah, well, was it been two years? <laughs> Sorry, what was that? I missed that. Have you guys been to Vegas? Yeah, we, yeah, took we the whole company. Yeah, oh, were, okay. Sorry, you guys all came yeah, down. I'm right. sick and tired of Vegas, man. I'm sorry, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <we're going> <laughs> <laughs> no. But I just don't know. It, I, I, I'm actually. I've lost so much interest in the North American shows because I haven't seen anything really new. You know, what I mean, like it was ten years ago. I was in awe. My eyes were wide open. Everything was coming out. All kinds of new and interesting things were coming out, and I was fascinated by it. I haven't seen anything new to really excite me, right? And I love that you guys are talking at the beginning of the show about innovation. Like you guys are always, so I get the sense that you give these guys your entire crew homework. Like you get yeah. them to kind of pay attention to what's yeah, coming we, down the we pipe. Read, we read a book for every quarterly meeting. Yeah. So everybody, everybody does that. But um, I think a big reason we went to IBS last time is because, again, it was a couple of years ago. We were working really hard on that kind of decentralization and company culture. So we, we really thought at the time that was going to be a really good way to, you know, get the guys to go to some of the seminars and classes, start to like, learn just get that continuing education bug and i think it worked really well at the time but yeah it'd be interesting to kind of look through and see what they have on the go this next year or two and see whether it's you know worth our time or because there's so many things we can do i mean we've gotten really good at learning as a group i feel like even if we just keep meeting as a group we're going to do a really good job so have you ever been to jlc live uh no i haven't so I think that's in like the New England. It's like the Northeast sort of yeah. uh, trade show. Oh wait, no, no, I'm no mistaken. I have been there once, long, okay. long time ago. Yeah, right. yeah. I was I was speaking there, guest speaking for Thermary. Okay. I was doing something for them there. I remember that. Yeah. So that's a little bit more geared towards hands toward hands on yeah. type uh, learning, right? So that's something that I think we that might be our next our next stop in terms of trade shows. But you're right, as like the North American stuff, it's pretty. Some of the European shows, on the other hand, are just out of this world, right? And that's everything that's, that's you know, it starts in Europe and then it comes yeah. here in terms of performance. So we're, uh, we're, getting, we're building some, some certified passive house spec homes next year. And a lot of the components that we're, that we're using are European products, right? Yeah. All the membranes, the windows. Sure. So that's where it starts. So I'd, I'd love to visit one of those shows. I know that someone just came back from Circe. So Circe was all just tile and stone in Italy, Bologna. So, and they were talking like highly of it. And it's something that I want to attend one time. And then there's the German show too, right? Which is every other year. Yep. Um, I think it's next year. I'm not exactly sure. But I mean, these are, it's more challenging for us to come from here to go to there and then go to the show. But you're definitely going to see a lot more of the construction world there. Than you have. I mean, it's just I haven't seen anything new, so that's yep. why with Construct Canada, I don't know what's going to be there. World of Concrete is always fun if you guys have never been, because I've never seen anything bigger. It's always in Vegas. It's just massive, massive, and it's good to experience once. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, I, I I don't know. IBS is not something I want to check out for now. I'll see what happens, man. Yeah, I I've spoken to you, haven't I? Uh, lots of times, right? I'm almost 50, dude. I'm almost 50. I keep forgetting shit, man. I'm going to use that card. <laughs> what else you guys want to chat about, man? I mean, I could talk all night. So That uh, World of Concrete thing in Vegas sounds interesting. <laughs> Picture like a big grown-up playground. Vegas. Like a yeah, massive, play, like the parking lot. Like, no, no, the parking lot is literally a sand and concrete and stone world. That's what it is. And it's surrounded by massive shipping containers. That's the parking lot. 
Then you go inside and they've parked all the biggest toys you can think of inside with like cranes with 300 foot reaches. Like it's just insane. And they're brand spanking new, all the machinery, right? So it's a good show. It's a loud show. Uh, but yeah, that's happening in the first or second week of January. This is what's going on. We could talk about cranes. Yeah, we should. Uh, we could plug our new friends at Manulift down in Stony Creek. So okay. We just we just, uh, we just purchased a, a Merlo Roto, the uh, rotating telehandler. Yeah, rotating 50, telehandler. Fifty thirty. Oh, brand new or used? Brand new. Whoa. Yep. Business is good. <laughs> it better be. <laughs> but uh, I heard that's uh, a pretty expensive toy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you guys. Yeah. That's great. I think we're, uh, yeah, it was over half a million. Yeah. yeah. But you guys did a cost analysis and you guys broke it down and you, you realized go. that that's it. It made sense at so that point. You break it down to, you know, all of its monthly expenses. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what you can bill it out on, the, on these projects. You know, compare it to the alternative, you know, renting, uh, renting a, you know, a Zoom Boom and a, and a forklift or whatever you're going to need. And it started to make a lot of sense. You know, they um, they preached that, you know, it could take a five-man framing crew down to three guys. So you start factoring in labor decrease. You know, fortunately, we're going to have a three-man framing crew. So that kind of, we're good off the hop there. Well, that's what we just did a show. And there was a framer and he was talking about the balance between getting the machine or getting a new employee. Yep. And the machine made more sense. Yep. And that's generally been our approach in terms of equipment, right? Yeah. Like we we were almost forced to do it, particularly on the landscape side, just with labor shortages. It's like, well, let's buy more equipment so that we don't, we're not killing ourselves lifting this stuff. Yeah. Um, and I mean, every time you do, you're like, wow, that's expensive. And, you know, this seems a little rash. And then you buy it and you're like, crap, I should have done that like four or five years ago. This makes so much sense. How did we ever operate without this thing? So who on the team is going to be maintaining it? Uh, well, uh, Manulift does a pretty good job of service. <laughs> okay. Um, but you know, probably, probably this guy to my left. Adams team. our in-house mechanic. Adams, here. okay, yeah. all right. That's because it'd be good to have that person, right? Part yeah. of the yeah. team. That's our guy. But yeah, I mean, James can kind of get into some of the high-performance stuff. But like, I mean, we're going to be going around these houses so many times with all these different layers that you kind of need something like this. It starts to make a lot of sense. Plus, you know, we're pretty young guys. We're in it for the long haul, and there's that factor too, right? Are you guys seeing a lot of clients actually understanding what HCH? Uh, ACH uh, means and the high performance and, and trying to get that rating. Are they edu- like are they educated enough to understand that or not? I don't think that the uh, the market is quite there yet and understanding the uh, or appreciating. I was going to say high performance is, yeah. is all about yeah because the so cost there is yeah yeah it, it's a challenge but it's certainly the direction that the building code is headed. So we're a little bit ahead of the curve there, but yeah we're I, I, that's that's the way we want to build. So we're, we're sort of hoping to educate and build a bit of a market, um, which is a tall task, obviously, but uh, we're, we're sort of committed to that at this point. So, yeah, we're jumping in with two feet. So what kinds of products you guys are getting down the whole zip system? You guys getting into membranes, you getting into all kinds of things like that? Yeah, not not zip. Okay. Uh, we won't be using zip, but um, a lot of these European membranes, the Segas and the... Uh, yeah, Segas are great. World. Yeah. Yep. So we'll take uh, we'll be more of like a mechanically applied uh, membrane for for air tightness. Yeah. Lots of tape. It was a shame that the OBC it's only taken fifty years, I guess, to actually understand putting insulation on the outside is actually a good thing. Right. Uh, the Europeans have been doing it for how long? Yeah. 
and the actual Europeans did it in Saskatchewan back in the 70s. Yep. In the first time ever in the world. That's right. But our, I guess our Canadian yep. government wasn't paying attention. Yeah, that was, uh, I think... Prime hair- Minister Stevie Wonder at the time yeah. or something like that. I can't remember exactly <laughs> for that sure. Was, that was because yeah. of the oil crisis, right? They wanted to drop uh, or make homes more energy efficient because the cost of fossil fuels went through the roof. Yeah. So. Yeah, it was... And they proved it. That's the thing. Yeah. They proved it, but they never went forward so with the, it. Uh, the original passive... Well, it wasn't a passive house, but the concept initiated yeah. in Saskatchewan, and then eventually the Germans, you know, took yeah. it to a whole other level. Yeah. You, you start to talk about, like, bones to pick, and, it, you know, trying to educate people to want this high-performance stuff, but it's like all of Europe, like, so much of the world has been there for so long. And then, I mean, you look in the country, like, BC is ahead of Ontario. Oh, right? 100%. So... You know, when you try and push some of this stuff and they look like they look at you like they're like, you know, why I I don't need this like NASA spaceship thing for a house. And like this is over the top. It's like, well, just look around the world. It's it's happening in all of these places, but it's they've been forced to. Right. You know, you talk about fossil fuel crisis. I I think that's what it takes is like a real push, a real demand uh, that people change. Do we not have some of the higher uh, highest hydro rates in a country? Yeah, I can believe it. Like we have some of the high, highest and all of a sudden you're wondering, well, if we're, if we're like paying so much for hydro, why aren't we trying to make better homes as a result of it? Why aren't we trying to be, I mean, everybody's switching over to LED bulbs now. So your consumption is so much lower than yeah. that. Well, I think the problem is people can still afford a shitty house and to pay for the energy, right? Well, that's the analogy with the OBC, right? The glass, a full glass of water at the edge of the table instead of the center of the table, right? Yeah. Just otherwise people wouldn't build at that point. They, they, and they couldn't spend the money on the Wolves or the Vikings and things like that and 10-inch, 1,200 CFM hood ranges. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they, that's, that's where they really want to... And it's great that you guys are talking this high-performance stuff, and I love it too. Trust me, I'm huge on it. But the thing is, since they can't see it, they can't warrant the cost attached to yeah. it. Yeah. And that's the challenging part where you always try to do the membranes. You try to put stuff on the outside. And I know that Raymond from Building Passive House, he put the SIGA on the, on the outside. He put the six inches of it, right? And mm-hmm. Jesse was the one that actually figured out. He was the only framer that figured out how to put it on the wall and then raise the wall at the same time. Other framers were talking about, we have to get a zoom boom, we have to get scaffolding, we have to put it on that way. He said, no, man, just put it on the wall and lift it up. Yep. And that's how he got it up there. And yep. now he's got an insane rating. I don't know exactly what it was, but it's smart at that point. Yeah. What, what, uh, we like about passive house is that it's all, uh, it's essentially a giant energy balance yeah. formula, right? So it's very, uh, it's, it's dialed in before construction even starts. It's all tested. It's qualified. Um, so it's going to be nice to be able to put that plaque on the wall and that certification saying that this is, this house is this energy efficient. I mean, how long before we sell houses with, you know, fuel economy, like the way you buy a car, right? Yeah. Um, I think that's that's sort of around the corner. Has the code already implemented ESA with the uh, the battery charges for cars for electrics? Is that just new construction? I think you have to rough in for it. Don't quote me on that. But. I think yeah, I think it's just rough in for now. You got to run the line and that's it. Just have it ready for it because that's eventually the future, right? That everyone's. Right. But then the code is it's kind of dumb because they're asking you for one. But what if it's two people driving two electric cars? Now you have to run another one mm-hmm. at that point. So that doesn't make any sense to that. Yeah, it's an interesting road ahead with once everything goes all electric and everybody has two electric cars in the garage, what's that going to mean for our grid, right? I'd, first of all, Toronto can't. Yeah. We can't. You talk to any electrician that works on a commercial or industrial level, they can't. Yeah. If everyone were to switch tomorrow to electric vehicles, good luck. 
Right. The whole city be known as Brownout City. Yeah. That's exactly what would happen. So we're not ready for that. Can we be ready? We're not even going to be. I know the whole, and I don't want to get political. I never yeah. get political. The whole 2050 net zero thing. That's a complete pipe dream. I'm sorry to say, man, that's never going to happen. You can't achieve it. Not in this city. You can't. Yeah. In this area. So it's a shame, but it's. I'm assuming most of your clients are what kind of age group? What are we talking about demographic wise? How old is. So how young? Uh, pretty good range. Probably mid 30s to mid. Yeah, mid 30s to mid 50s. Yeah. Okay. So they're on their second home, possibly their third home, but it may not necessarily be their forever home. Yeah. No, I'd say, I, I don't know. I'd have to say like half, half of our projects are for forever homes. Um, and then the other half would be for more middle-aged families, you know, with kids that are on their second or third. Two different mindsets, huh? Yep. When you got a forever home, you got a home that we might put a for sale sign out there. Yep. Yep. So Big they time. might not want to listen to all the suggestions. That's it. Yeah. Certainly as we get into bigger, more sophisticated projects, they seem to be more forever home. Yeah. Where they're willing to invest a little bit more, do things the right way, all the way back to the studs. I mean, off the top of your head, guys, like how much of a price difference are we talking about increase wise? If you were to spend that effort to create a forever home, even though it's for a person who's not going to be staying there forever. What are we talking, like 15, 20% more if we build it a certain way? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's the, more like the 10 to 15%. Um, but again, like you said, it's all the stuff you don't see that people would rather spend that money on the yeah. on the jewelry, on their countertops. But it's more cost effective at the point when you guys take it all to studs and you're getting to the bones of it and now you're running, you have an opportunity to run all that stuff at a cheaper rate. Absolutely. Which makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah, we're generally not working on projects that aren't going back to the studs. We're not, uh, we don't really want to mesh our work with you know, other renovations, other layers of, you know, different projects. So we're sort of, uh, that's kind of our threshold is, is we're taking everything back to the studs. We're going to do it right. You guys are so quiet on this side, man. <laughs> yeah, this is typically a pretty rowdy bunch. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know because it's a mics too much or pizza, something? maybe. Friday, beer, pizza. Long week. Was it? Yeah. Hard week. <laughs> Cold, <laughs> wet, muddy. You guys got snow up here yet? A smattering of it. Off and on. Okay, nothing yet. It's coming. Yep. It's a tough time of year. Uh, like, I mean, you look at it from a business perspective, and it's your last chance to kind of make that last final push. But it gets miserable out there, and uh, it gets tough. I mean, obviously, everybody's tired and looking forward to the holidays, but. Uh, yeah, you kind of have to kind of keep going. and You guys don't stop. No. Like, this is Canada. Construction doesn't stop, right? Because there's a little bit of white stuff on the ground. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, we've traditionally been landscaping right until Christmas. The last, you know, four years, three, four years, and then starting back up again in March. So not much of an off-season. And then all these guys come inside and help out the, uh, the rental side of the business? Yeah, I mean, a, a bit of a combination. You know, some guys take some paid time off. They bank some hours from the uh, from the busy season and take some paid time off in January. Yeah, a couple of them will go inside and, and help, help the renovators. A uh, couple guys will work on, you know, fleet maintenance. Uh, usually it takes Adam and Adam and a guy about, what, month, month and a half to go through the, you know, there's a dozen trucks and half a dozen trailers and between the skid steers and excavators, there's like, you know, another six pieces of equipment there. So that's a lot of filters and bearings and tracks and 
Air you handle everything yourself, Adam, or you got a bunch of guys? Uh, it's more or less just me. We grab one of the guys, like one of the landscape guys usually. But uh, Doug and I grew up on a farm, so our dad uh, has kind of taught us well. Kind of the proactor to uh, be proactive, kind of get all this stuff done while we've got the time. And he's got a nice heated shop, so I don't have any complaints. I'm assuming that you guys are probably looking at other businesses to kind of build your business, other kinds of industries. Any thoughts on that? Like what, to acquire? No, not to acquire. No, just to take (laughs) lessons from, right? To learn from. I mean, it wasn't all that long ago that, I mean, I could say 20 years ago, you wouldn't have books on the wall that uh, you're asking the team oh, yeah. to, to read, right? Yeah, to totally. educate, homework. That wasn't the case. If it was yep. a pack of smokes on the wall, that'd be a different story. Right. <laughs> and then the calendar girl too, right? Like, I mean, yeah. sometimes you walk into a shop and it's there, yeah. but the times have changed, right? Totally. And I, th- I think there's a, there's a new age of young entre- entrepreneur coming that is a lot more open to that type of thing. Um, again, I credit a lot of what we do to my peer group. Uh, I've been in it for, it's, it's been a decade. And, uh, so it's, it's 10 other companies, 10 other construction companies that I meet with again, twice a year. And these guys are brothers to me at this point. Different levels of construction. Uh, yep. Okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, we've all kind of grown together. Um, there's been kind of like a range in the group and that range has continued to like just escalate and grow. So we've grown together. Um, but yeah, I mean, developing alongside nine other businesses is, is pretty handy. Uh, you know, you don't have to make all the mistakes yourself. Learning from what they do, it's, it's, I mean, it's similar to having kind of a board of directors, if you want to call it that. But, and then, you know, the facilitator to this group, Jeffrey Scott, I got to give him a plug. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got, you know, I don't know how many groups he has these days, but I think he's got eight or nine groups. So he's eight or nine times 10 members each, you've got like a hundred companies there that are essentially masterminding. And you know, you read a lot of these books and there's a lot of common denominators there when it comes to masterminding, not having to know everything yourself, putting your minds together. If you need to, you know, find something, find somebody that's an expert in that realm. Um, So yeah, I think that's been instrumental, just being open to to learning from other people. And yeah. What are some of the, things that the younger guys the younger trades that are just getting into business what what are some of the mistakes that they're making well unit pricing is one that we just touched on yeah that's big i I get the sense sorry i I just i was gonna say i get the sense that they want to get to where they want to get to sooner yeah and i mean the catch 22 is that you can't improve or work on your business if you're going to work in your business 100 percent of the time so you kind of have to just make time to work on the business and whether that's like schedule that for yourself, whether it's weekly or monthly or quarterly or whatever it is, like you can't change unless you're going to put the time into changing. Right. So, I mean, a lot of these owner operators that are stuck in like unit pricing, it's because it's simple and they don't have time to sell in quotes. So they've got to do it quickly. They don't have time to develop their pricing model and, you know, all the math that goes into that, the budgeting and the overhead recovery and all this stuff to figure out your true labor rates and your markups because they're too busy on the tools, right? And I get it. I was there. You um, got to stay focused on the tools. So how to, can you stay yeah. focused on the business? Exactly. It's tough. Yeah. So, but at some point, you just got to start to break that mold and, and start working on the business. Um, and then it just kind of snowballs as long as you keep it, keep getting after it too, right? So, you know, you spend more time 
developing those backend systems and processes and understanding your numbers and that all of a sudden you can charge the appropriate rates to hire a couple more guys and then all of a sudden you can charge the appropriate rate to put somebody in the office and then you can hire the designer and then you can hire you know more talented people and it just it snowballs and snowballs but you have to know your numbers yeah it all starts off there yep any other thoughts james adam first and foremost just do good work Mm -hmm. and then yeah the next the next thing would be know your numbers yeah i mean you you have to uh you have to know your numbers in order to know what you what you're valued at, and then just don't you know don't compromise. Um, otherwise, it's a race to the bottom, which unfortunately most of the industry suffers from. That we still have the stereotype. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any thoughts, Adam? Yeah, I mean, like James said, um, you got to do quality work. Like when we started those first few years, we started with a lot of just referrals from like friends, family, but then that kind of snowballed clients referring their families and their friends and that's the way you got to grow your business and I think still today we're probably I don't know Doug James 80% referral based and that's the best kind of client you can get right they already know what you're about they already there's already that level of trust right yeah they're I mean they're less likely to price shop if it's a direct referral Um, there's that trust factor they won't get a second, third, or fourth mm-hmm. quote. No, really, huh? Good for no, you guys, man. But yeah, we're typically not in multiple bid scenarios. Yeah, if if you have a, we've we've put in place like barriers to entry, like friction points, where they've kind of got to commit to us a little bit. Uh, we call a pre-construction agreement, um, but they're basically agreeing to move forward into concept design and budget planning. And I mean, if they're going to do that, they're, they're pretty committed. Get, get right? committed they're not, they're not a point. tire kicker. Yeah. At that point, if they're going to fork over a little bit of dough, so depending on the scale of the project, that could range anywhere from, uh, you know, a thousand bucks to fifteen grand, um, just to do that initial project development. You guys, young guys, mistakes, nothing, perfect, that whole generation, perfect. I don't know about as far as like building a company mistakes, but I think looking at going back to hiring, um, a mistake that I see in some of the young guys is that they don't want to put in the work to get good at the work. So they're coming in and they want to get paid at a certain rate, but then they don't come in with the mindset that they want to learn. And I think if you look at like guys that do have that mindset that want to learn, there is an opportunity to grow not just at Frontiers, but within this industry. I think everybody in this room um, is a homeowner and we're all pretty young. So I think that's that's like a pretty good Says indication a lot. Yeah. of where our company's at and where we're at and where you can get just, just through hard work. Like I said, I came out of sociology and I had a small background in um, some of the landscaping stuff, but I think for the most part, hard work is has put most of us in the positions that we are right now. Yeah, and I think the nice, like the nice part about everything that they've touched on in the last hour is that, you know, for for our side of the table, we just want to make sure that they're using the money we're making them responsibly and going to keep the lights on so we can keep doing what we want to do. <laughs> oh, amen. It's a good answer, <laughs> <laughs> gentlemen. Nothing. 
Yeah, I mean, like speaking from being someone who was a young guy um, looking to get into this industry, uh, I mean, on the carpentry side, we just hired like this year our first person with hands-on experience coming into the business. Like other than James, everyone else had zero, well, almost zero gram frame for a little bit, but um, basically zero on tool experience. Um, and we just hired our first guy who came from a different company this year. So everything that we are is basically built on like a good culture, uh, um, a willingness to, for like James to let us make our own mistakes and figure it out. Um, and like our willingness to learn. I think there's some credit that we have like some, some guys that are, everyone has a, at least a college education. Like there's no, there's nobody looking to coast. Everyone puts in the work and like, it's a team, it's a team sport here. Um, nobody wants that guy on their team that isn't going to do their share. So, um, I think a lot of it, there's a lot of pride in it and a lot of pride in, in, uh, you know, helping out the guys that you're with in the trenches every day. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of reasons why we are where we are, but I think, like, credit to them, they did a really good job at finding the people, um, even, like, after us, like, the other 10 guys in the room, everyone sort of, you could replace the four of us with any combination of those guys, and you're still going to get the same sort of answers. Like, there's a very strong culture here. Is that by design, gentlemen? Is that just, or by luck, that you guys were molding? Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, at least on the carpentry side, it was, I've always just looked for someone who's genuinely interested, you know, comes on board with the right attitude, and then and show up and work hard. Yeah. And I'll teach you the rest, so to speak. I mean, it's, it's sort of self-serving, obviously. I want, think, I want people to do things my way. Um, so there's always a level of fear. You know, you bring in the, the older, experienced guy that's going to, start doing things his way. But uh, I mean, it, fortunately it worked out well that we, we just had guys that were genuinely interested in becoming good carpenters. They're first and foremost, good people. So our clients love them. You know, it's, it's great to have good people, trustworthy, friendly, polite, personable people in your home. You know, when you're living there during a renovation, like you said, you, you got to give them, you know, the opportunity to make mistakes. That's you, you can't micromanage your way to a successful company of 16 or 17 people you know it's and it's it's going to cost the company like people are going to make mistakes there's going to be rework but i mean the, that next job he's going to he's going to have that particular task down he's going to he's going to have the foresight to to avoid those mistakes so first and foremost good people they got to be interested and then give them the opportunity to learn and uh, you know four or five years later we've got you know a, a very uh we're, there's a lot of autonomy here mm -hmm. everybody like Doug said, can make their own decisions. Um, and we don't need to micromanage every single task that's done. Any thoughts, Pat? Yeah, hiring is definitely key. Even recently, we've had like a few seasonal, like Luke. Luke is uh, Jer's uh, laborer. The guy works so hard and he's driven. Uh, Liam has come on for us within the last two years. And he's probably the hardest worker in the company. I think <laughs> the guy who put the put the company on his shoulders if he has to. Uh, and he's so hard on himself. I've worked with him directly for a year and like he's 24, like I'm 
33, I guess that's not that much of a difference, but um, he gets pissed off every time he screws up to the point where he won't talk to me on the way home. uh, (laughs) He's so upset with himself, even though he just doesn't have the experience yet. So, yeah, we're definitely a younger company. And uh, as James says, uh, it's costly at times, but um, it's better to learn through your mistakes. But are you guys not? Because I do it too. Like the mistake happens, but then it's not going to happen again. Then the cost savings you see in the future instead of the cost loss when it happens. Are you guys looking at it that way as well? I'm trying to. I mean, yeah. I think everybody tries to look at it that way. It's painful at some some points. Sometimes. But, but you know, we'll chat about it. Like our, our last quarterly meeting, we we took the time to, you know, talk about wins and failures. We brought up a few mistakes and areas that went wrong and uh, just kind of debriefed them. Yeah, it's interesting getting back to like, you know, em- employee growth and the growth of the people in the room. Like it doesn't take long if you give people the right latitude, like five years I mean, five years ago, these guys were all still pretty green and we were doing, you know, $50,000 landscapes and I was still teaching these guys everything they know at that point. And now I'm, I'm the worst landscaper in the company. These guys are all <laughs> way better than I am. Yeah. So it's interesting how the, you know, the tides turn when you give people the freedom to, to improve and you encourage them to improve constantly. So I'm, I'm super proud of them that they've kind of like taken over the reins on the craftsmanship of it all. And, uh, yeah, I think that's a big thing for, for growth. But you guys realize that you're going to do that eventually. Hand it off the knowledge, pass it on to someone else that's going to come into the ranks. And that's just gonna, that's construction in general. Like, I love that. That's construction in general. You have to be teachers. I feel like for, for us on the carpentry side, especially, um, we're already seeing, like, the fruits of that labor. Uh, like, so when I started, I started with just James and... Um, Again, like I said, I had no experience. So everything that I know is through uh, the textbooks in school that I went to, and then everything applied is through James. And now we're at a point where James is largely off the tools, and he hasn't necessarily had to work side by side with like Liam or um, Luke or some of the newer the newer hires. But still, the the quality of work doesn't go down. But that's because James took the time to teach like myself and Pat and that flows downward through the company as, as new people come in. Um, we have our established ways of doing things really, really good at communicating and coming up with, um, procedures and, uh, just like daily habits, the things that make our frontiers culture what it is. And it's infectious. Like it's hard to step in even as, uh, seasonal employee and not find yourself um, kind of falling in line with the way that things are done here. So you guys are from University of Guelph in the construction program or the landscape program? Yeah, Adam and I did landscape architecture. Okay, but then everybody else is coming from education outside of construction or is, are there some that came from construction? So two of our younger carpenters did uh, college, college degrees. Jesse went to university, got into marketing and then went back to school for for carpentry, so Mohawk and Conestoga, they have like their their builder yeah. programs. Okay. Yeah. I just want to get a gauge of it because yeah. it kind of sense of they're coming from another industry, they're coming from another yeah, education. Yeah, no, it's a real mixed bag. Yeah, as, which yeah. is nice. I think. I think then you get different perspectives at that point. Mm-hmm. And if they've got a passion for this skill that they're doing, then they can contribute and think about it. I always love seeing fresh eyes. Like that's you'll get somebody if everybody's all from the same schooling. 
Right. What's the point at that? You know, I don't get that at all. Mm. I mean, compliments across the board for you guys for actually pulling that off and building it and growing it that way. And I love that you just said that you're the worst because you've handed it off to the to these guys to take the reins and then become the best, which is great to hear that, right? Because that's our whole objective. You guys eventually all want to do that. And then and that's why I was saying you guys are eventually going to do it too. And then that's how you keep on building the brand and it keeps on growing, right? Yep. So that's totally cool for you guys, man. And I think to just put this all in context too, like we certainly don't feel like we've made it. Like this is like a continual. You're still climbing. <clears throat> you get, you're always going to be climbing. Yeah. The climb does not stop. Yeah, that's the nature of everybody on this team everybody's constantly striving to get better yeah fuck you guys found some lucky ones eh? holy cow <laughs> stay here don't go to toronto man <laughs> don't go to toronto man. we used to not anymore <laughs> <laughs> all right i got one last segment to do and then we can wrap it up guys it's www.frontiersdesign.com uh, james.frontiers at gmail.com and on social media frontiers design build you guys ready for the 12 questions of construction we're going to try to do like a rapid round here since there's seven here. Do you want to join in? Jump on the mic there, Wheeler. <laughs> want to introduce yourself? Uh, I'm Andrew Wheeler. I, I uh, own and operate Fastidious Tile and Stone. Nice. Nice to meet you. You've been like watching us like a hawk the yeah. whole time, man. <laughs> Quiet. Everybody ready? So we'll just start from Adam right across the board. Ready? Favorite construction word? Great job. <laughs> <laughs> No, by the way, there's no right or wrong. <laughs> there's no that right or wrong. Uh, F word. I'll be the boring one. Budgets. Um, payment. <laughs> we know where the administrative is. Uh, yeah, I'll follow Andrew. I also like to say fuck. <laughs> I'll follow Adam. I like good job. That's <laughs> great. Uh, I don't um, Festool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I enjoy new tools. Yeah. I'm going to say Capex. There you go. Least favorite word? Construction word? Snow. Oh, yeah. Great one. I'd agree with that one, man. Mm -hmm. uh, dust. Mm. Oh, man. I was going to say snow. So can I take ice? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Concern when a client has a concern. Mm. Uh, rework. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Leak. Decks in the winter. <laughs> what turns you on in construction, gentlemen? Ooh, big machines. Uh, learning. The finished product. High performance. Operating. Nailing it. <laughs> Nail ya? Nailing it. Nailing it. It's <laughs> like perfect straight lines. Tools. What turns you off in construction? Mud. Incompetence. Clients to think uh, you're going to rip them off. Poor communication. Uh, failure. <laughs> and the question was, ladies and gentlemen, what turns you off in construction? Uh, what turns me off in construction? Uh, yeah. uh, we, don't, we don't have long enough. Budget. <laughs> Budgets turn you off. Yeah. Mm. Canadian weather. Inspectors. 
<laughs> They're people too. Uh, this is going to be interesting. What's your favorite curse word? Frig. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> Shit. Pass. <laughs> Cut the shit. <laughs> shoot. Ah, uh, shoot. Shoot. <laughs> What's your favorite vehicle? Anything in the world? Doesn't have to be construction related. It's my pickup truck. Yeah, my van. What kind of pickup truck? Oh, it's an old Dodge 2012 3500. Lots of Dodges lately, man. I don't know what's going on. Okay, sorry. What? Uh, uh, 2008 Chevy Cargo Express. <laughs> my uh, 2010 Camaro that I don't drive at all. Probably a Tesla. I'd like to get one of those. <laughs> Doug's truck. <laughs> yeah. Before Lightning, I'm going to get next year, probably. <laughs> my motorcycle. What kind of bike? Uh, SCR 950 Yamaha. Uh -huh. I had a Vespa in high school, so I'm going to go with that. <laughs> hey, women love Vespas, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Least favorite vehicle in the world? Ooh, a messy one. Anything, just messy. Uh, Kia Soul. <laughs> <laughs> Those really tiny ones on the 401 that like look like if they hit a pothole, they're going to like explode. Smart? Yeah, smart cars or okay. whatever. Yeah, probably that Nissan Cube. Oh, <laughs> terrible. The cousin of the soul. <laughs> yeah, probably smart car. An electric scooter. <laughs> Pat's Vespa. <laughs> Maybe also my Vespa. <laughs> what construction sound or noise do you guys love? I hate them all. They're too loud. Every sound? You know, there isn't one that you love? Silence? Maybe my big machines. Uh, I think a, a miter saw cutting hardwood. I don't hear it very often. A Cummins turbo diesel engine driving up to the job site. Mm. Yeah, that's a good one. Why <laughs> <laughs> uh, that Festool Domino over there? Mm. Sounds like precision. I always love the purr of my stone saw. <laughs> yeah, fuck, I was going to say stone saw, too. <laughs> Purr of your stone oh, saw. Right. Uh, yeah, I was going to say this. That was the same thing? Okay. Uh, Liam and Pat singing. Yeah, I like, I like a hammer hit. Good hammer hit. Good hammer hit. What construction center news do you guys hate? What do I hate? Probably Max stone saw, because it's so loud. That's yours. <laughs> uh, my grinder. Mm. Yeah, blade binding. Crying. The oscillating saw. Oh, that's good. <sighs> yeah, broken stone saw. The sound of a Cummings diesel engine pulling up. The <laughs> 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 I, I gotta go with the oscillating saw as well. Oscillating. It's, yeah, close to oscillating saw or the landscapers don't saw when you're building decks. Uh, what profession other than your own would you guys like to attempt one day? Ooh, one of those people that get to travel the world and do reviews, but they just get to basically sit on the beach for like weeks on end. Oh, social media influencer. Mm. Okay. Uh, stone masonry, actually. I've always wanted to be an architect. 
Nice. I'd like to be a rock star. In case you didn't notice that our, our intro there with the... Uh, <laughs> yeah. I've always been hoping to be a carpenter. Mm, keep dreaming. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> a magician. A magician? Yeah, you guys belong in Vegas. <laughs> uh, chef? Culinary. Yeah, pool shark, I think. I like pool a lot. So that's not... What profession would you guys not like to do? The one job that you guys don't want to do. Oh, the worst would be working in the service industry, industry doing like oh, yeah. restaurant yeah. stuff or tough. Uh, the guy cleaning porta potties. Mm. Real estate agent. Yeah, those those poor guys that climb into the attic and blow insulation and uh, mm. sweat, freeze. Degree. Yeah. Uh, I worked as a janitor for a while. That was pretty shitty. <laughs> <laughs> I did I did roofing for a while. I'd never again. Summertime? Yeah. Ouch. Anything in a marketing department? <laughs> um Investors Group? Yeah, probably that. <laughs> but you already had three days. You don't want a fourth? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd like to add to society. Not and the final question, gentlemen, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Take the rest of the week off. <laughs> uh, you're allowed in. <laughs> you, good di- you did good, boy. <laughs> That'll do. That'll do. Yeah, we're gonna, yeah, uh, you can come in. That's, uh, <laughs> I'd, I'd be pretty pumped. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's free bush. <laughs> yeah, your name's on the list. <laughs> Schooners. <laughs> Sorry, skirts. Skirts. Gentlemen, thanks very much, man. Really appreciate to meet everybody and talk construction for the last hour and a half. Uh, th- thank you for your time on a Friday. And your hospitality, I really appreciate it. Uh, and everybody, check them out again at www.frontiersdesignbuild.com, james.frontiers at gmail.com, and Frontiers Design Built on social media. And that was, so we've got Adam, Doug, James. Mac. Mac. Yep. And, sorry. Jeremy. Jeremy. Jesse. Pat. Pat. There we go. Thank you, gentlemen. We're out of here. Thanks, Manny. Cheers. Thanks.